Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our first episode of What the Family Studies for 2024. I hope that you all enjoyed your holidays and have been able to catch up on some well-deserved rest. On behalf of everyone on this podcast team, I'd like to wish you the best in 2024. I'm your host today, Katherine Murphy, and I'd like to welcome Jen Sobeck. Jen is currently in her 17th year as a secondary teacher with the Durham District School Board. Jen began her teaching career in English and history 16 years ago. She's also taught special education, but upon return from a maternity leave, was asked to teach fashion. With no experience in fashion and not knowing how to sew, Jen accepted the challenge. She saw it as an opportunity to challenge herself to grow as a teacher. Jen found that she loved teaching family studies, especially fashion. She found that it brought her much happiness in both her career and personal life. She's worked hard to promote fashion and family studies at her school and loves to showcase her own sewing creations for her students, from dresses to cosplay outfits. Jen takes great pleasure in seeing students feel so accomplished when they've created something that they can wear and are learning important life skills at the same time. Fashion class is a wonderful outlet for creativity and a place to let go of the stresses of other courses. Jen truly believes that there's a place for everyone in fashion class. Tonight, our learning goals are to learn more about Jen and her journey into teaching fashion, learn some of the challenges that Jen faced when navigating the fashion curriculum, learn about the important considerations that teachers of fashion need to think about, and learn about ways in which Jen invites all students into her classroom and helps them explore their creativity, learn new skills, and develop life skills. Welcome, Jen, to our podcast. We're really looking forward to getting to know you better. Jen, I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about the fashion program that you're teaching. I've never taught fashion before, so I'm looking forward to hearing some of your interesting information here. In your intro, we shared a bit about your pathway to becoming a family studies and a fashion teacher. Can you tell us more about how you got to where you are today? Sure. So originally, I did learn a little bit about sewing machines way back when I first started teaching from... I'm sure many people if in Offshia would know Marg LaBelle. Yeah, <laughs> God, I love Marg. So way back, she, I, I wanted a sock monkey and I kept bothering her to make me a sock monkey. So she's like, you know what? Make it yourself. I'll teach you. And she got me on a sewing machine. To this day, she tells people the story of when she told me to wind the bobbin and I did it by hand. Oh, And it took me 20 minutes. I just wound it around myself. I did not understand (laughs) how to do it on a machine. She's like, wow, you really, you really don't know what you're doing. I'm like, I don't. Unfortunately, though, after she left, take a head to position and life kind of got away from me. I didn't have a sewing machine and I just didn't follow through on anything else. Fashion, it always kind of poked at me, but I just, I didn't know if I could And so one day, one of our VPs at the time randomly said, you wear nice dresses all the time. You always have like the most fun high heels. And I do. I love high heels. I have so many different types of high heels. And he's like, have you ever thought about teaching fashion? And I said, I mean, I would love to give it a try. And it was that or we were looking at maybe getting rid of the program at our school, I think, because... It was kind of on the way out. There was only one grade 10 class running. We didn't even offer the grade 12 class anymore in the course handbook. So I just kind of didn't tell anybody that I really couldn't sew. And I mean, technically, you can teach fashion without using sewing machines. You can do hand sewing and other things. But it's a disservice, I think, to the students a lot of the time to not involve the machines. That's kind of the cool part. And we have an entire room full of machines. So why not? So yeah, I just... 
signed up for a couple of private lessons that summer and just kind of stayed one step ahead of the kids that semester. And I realized it just filled something in my heart that I didn't realize I was missing. It just made me so incredibly happy as a teacher. That's amazing. I mean, what more could you want than to be teaching something that you enjoy teaching and something that makes you so happy? Exactly. And I actually said to them, like, listen, please trust me, open up the grade 12s again. I think I can do this. And they did. And the admin supported me mm-hmm. and the guidance counselor supported me. And my department had Melanie Keefe. She was totally on board. And my timetable now, except for I teach an IDC of something else, my full timetable is fashion. That's great. I love it. Yeah. So when you were new to fashion, I'm sure that there were a number of challenges, you know, in those first few years that you were teaching it. Can you share a few of those challenges with us? Let us know how you overcame them. Yeah, for sure. Well, I will be honest, sometimes that especially that first go through where I wasn't even sure what I was doing sometimes, you know, I just students be like, oh, my mom's a seamstress. I'm like, oh, hey. (laughs) They're like, are we going to do like a flocked collar? And I'm like, that's a little too advanced for grade 10. And then I'd just be like, I'll go home and like, look it up. And I tried like, and I, it, it was a lot. It was getting the resources I needed to teach as well. Because one of the other problems I found is the, the lack of budget for fashion, not just fashion, but family studies in general, it's quite low within each school. And it's, it's an allotment per kid per school. It's not like if you run five fashion classes, you get more. Mm. That has to be bargained with basically from your principal. And I just have this belief that no child, no kid or student should have to ever pay for the materials because I don't think anyone should be stopped from being creative, from exploring something that could end up being what they want to do for the rest of their life simply because they weren't fortunate enough to be able to have some overhead fee. And I know that our board doesn't really do that in particular, but I have heard of other people doing enhancement fees, which means if you want better materials or a better thing, you pay a bit extra. I'm also super against that because again, I don't feel like it's fair in a school system where we're all paying towards it and all of our kids are there that just because you're slightly better off financially, you should have access to better things. In my mind, that's not how it goes. So the first couple years, I did a lot of little fundraising side bits where like I would sell pizza on one of our cheat days to raise money for like a new machine or something. I all over Facebook marketplace and Facebook neighborhood groups, like especially in Ajax, so I where I teach. So the neighbors, like the neighborhood there have been so amazing. I have had so many donations of knitting needles and balls of yarn and stuff. I have people who often donate fabrics to me. And it's not always awesome, like going through, you know, bags of scraps to find some gems, but I do find them. And it honestly, the community really came together to help support the program. I personally started helping out with some online fabric companies, like some small shops, and I got a big discount. I'd order some, but maybe an extra meter that would find its way to my classroom. Or, you know, like I just really did whatever I could to fund this classroom and make it have really good stuff. So my kids wanted to do it. And the one thing it always came down to for me was, if you have children yourself, and let's say something happened, like, I don't know, you lost your job, 
Would you want opportunities in a public school system taken away from them simply because you couldn't afford that extra fee versus putting food on the table that month, you know? Yeah, I think that's a a challenge we face in a lot of our classrooms, but for sure in the fashion classroom where just things are so much more expensive. Oh, yeah. You've used some very creative ways to to come over that in some very, very considerate ways, I think. I'm a clearance shopper too. So like (laughs) I will bounce from fabric land to fabric land all over the area, just going for their clearance sections. The ladies know me. They know what I'm coming for and they help me out in whatever way they can. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, don't worry. You know, those are going on sale next week. They know that I'm trying to stay within the budget. And sharing your love of fashion too. Oh God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. What are some of the major considerations for you when you're looking for projects in your fashion classroom, trying to keep student voice engaged? You know, I, I always see these amazing projects coming out of all the fashion classes in our schools. How do you come up with those ideas? So one, it does come down to budget, what I can afford. And I will say my administration since I started into fashion has been phenomenal and always provided extra on top of what I'm normally given. They, they've always supported me and my department head. Budget does come into play because I have to make sure I have enough for all of my classes, including like the next semester. So I take that into account and then I kind of f- figure out a couple of different projects. So I ask them what students like, like, okay, are we into upcycling? Which mm-hmm. is basically taking old clothes and making them into something different that they might wear. Do we like things like splatter? So paint splattering was a big thing for a while there. So we did paint splatter denim, taking into account various genders and that I work my butt off to not just like, I call it, it's not your grandma's like fashion kind of thing. Like it's not, it's not all dresses and stuff. I want to make sure that everyone feels included. So I try to make it fairly neutral. So like pajama pants is a fairly neutral thing, tote bags, but we try to upcycle and we do scrap tote bags. My grade 11s have done basketball shorts in the past. And this time around, if it works, fingers crossed, our big ISU, I'm going to show them how to take apart a pair of canvas shoes, trace it onto like the pieces onto vinyl, then reassemble it. Wow. And then how to basically set the eyelets for the laces. And yeah, like it's, I mean, wish me luck. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just getting started on it, but it's like, I'd like to challenge myself. Oh, and then I do, I do upcycled hoodies with my, my grade 12s, but I am, I'm trying to give options and I let the class vote and then I let them have their own creative voice and choice within their project. So I'm like, okay, you have to do this, this, and this in regards to the actual sewing, like these lines, this. But if you want to do a drop shoulder versus a hoodie, if you want a pocket or no pocket, if you want cuffs or no cuffs, you have to hem it in this style. Like I try to allow them as much voice within their own project as possible because I want them to actually enjoy what they've made and use it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see it go in the garbage. Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I am huge on upcycling, recycling, doing all those things. But I think it's neat when we're teaching our kids to do that as well, too, and, and teaching our students the, the importance of that. But you do have a lot of fun in your classroom, I think. I, like, I want to learn more about this cosplay that you do. <laughs> what does that look like in your class? And, and is it something that a lot of students are interested in? So I found, okay, so one of the biggest reasons I discovered is I love fashion because I've always loved costumes. 
So growing up, I was a figure skater and I loved carnival time, which was what we called like we would all skate to a certain theme and we'd have all these cool costumes. And that's what I lived for. That's all I wanted was to wear those sparkly costumes. And then Halloween was like my favorite thing. And it's still my favorite thing simply because of the costumes. And as I've I've grown older, I do quite enjoy things like anime and manga. I've gotten my daughter into it now, like, you know, old school Sailor Moon and stuff. I started seeing on TikTok a lot of cosplayers. So cosplayers basically get costume play and you recreate these costumes from different fandoms. So that could be, you know, you have Doctor Who and it could be dressing up like Wednesday Adams from the new Wednesday show. Not everybody in cosplay recreates their things. So you can buy the costumes and that's cool, but a lot of it's based on anime and manga. I took it as a challenge to start recreating things. Oddly enough, so it started out with my daughter's dance costumes and I made a couple for her and then she quit dance. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's a, that's a weird skill set I have now and a little niche that I don't have anything to use with. And I realized, why don't I start trying to make these other costumes? It started out with Cruella. And I wore it at our school for like the big Halloween day. And it was really cool looking. And my daughter, it was funny because my daughter was like, "Mm, it's missing something. And she was like six. She's like, you need a little bit more flair right here. I'm like, oh God, you're right. Then the next year it got more extensive where I began to create headpieces and incorporate wigs and other things. Although I did have a little wig for Corella, it wasn't great, but I made this Medusa costume with snakes everywhere and this very, like I spray painted the headpiece. It was very over the top. I actually go to Fan Expo two years ago. It was my birthday kind of thing. I'm like, I'm going to try and do a cosplay contest. And I sucked. It was terrible. (laughs) I was in the beginner group, but you know what? It was for me, it was getting up on stage and it was kind of trying to push myself. And it did. Funny enough, it was my husband who said like, it was nice. He tried. He's like, you don't know what you're doing yet. Keep going. And so I did keep going. And so what I did for this, the following year, I didn't, I didn't bother with the contest because forget that I go now just to present different costumes and people take pictures with me. And then I'll use those costumes at school. Every single day of October is a different costume. I start with like my old store-bought ones, but then it escalates and people are like, oh my God, what are you going to wear tomorrow? I'm like, wait and see. And so it's one of the best ways that I promote my program. Yeah. I wear my program and it doesn't come without challenges. Like we don't have a lot of the stuff that you get in the States for cosplay and Mm. for theater. I actually, through coincidence, somehow Facebook randomly chose me as a new admin for cosplay Toronto's Facebook page. So I jumped on that and it's been so fun because I'm finding so much information out about cosplay and all of these sewists like older females like myself have come out of the woodwork and helping me out and giving me resources and places to get stuff. So I'm working on this hoop skirt because it's one of those things that I want to be able to do for my courses and bringing that costuming aspect in has really excited the students. So about two years ago as well, two or three years ago, I helped out with our school. We have a musical theater program. I helped them make a ton of costumes. It was like very low budget, quick change, but it worked. And since then, we've kind of had this partnership where I help out wherever needed and I enjoy it. And so it's culminated now that I've created an interdisciplinary course, a grade 12 university level for next year called Fashion for Film and Stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's unique to just our school, to just I'm making up at a scratch. 
I'll lead it. We'll work at corseting at hoop skirts, that other level that you don't get in other fashion courses because no fashion course has a prerequisite of fashion. Mm-hmm. So my grade 12M course, I have kids who want to go into fashion, right. like in, in college, university, but the first month, month and a half, they are on hold, basically, while I get everybody else up to speed. So this one, it's that higher level where they can really explore and enjoy things that they could never do in a normal fashion class. I think it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's something you're obviously very passionate about. And I think it's great to bring that passion to the kids and share that with them because you know, like you said, a lot of them, they want to go into fashion. Maybe they want to go into theater. Maybe they want to, you know, there's so many different outlets for them, I think. So I think that's a great job for them. You've recently joined Afshia Board of Directors. Why did you decide to add this role to your already busy schedule? Can you tell us a little bit about it? I had heard of Afshia. I hadn't done a ton with them. Professor Gallant, she was my teacher for my second Family Studies AQ. She talked about Afshia so much. She mentioned the podcast that you guys run. So I've listened to the podcast, my way to work. I don't know. I just, I think I was hoping to add a slightly different perspective to everything. I find that a lot of people who teach fashion tend to have a background in it. And they're very focused on very much the details of doing everything. Whereas I'm kind of like, hey, everybody, let's have a ton of fun and be creative. I just felt like maybe that other side of the coin might kind of help be a foil to the others in, in Afshia. And it has like, they have this wealth of experience and I have this like crazy high energy gung ho, like, yeah, let's do all the things all at once. I think it's a, a perfect fit. Actually, Afshia brings a lot to the table with a lot of different ideas. So I think it's great that you're joining. There's so many resources and so many great things that you can get from Afshia that I think people just don't realize. I know in my school, we have a couple of teachers who are going to be teaching particularly foods this coming up semester who aren't qualified family studies. And so I think they don't realize everything that Afshia can offer, the curriculum that, you know, was just there to help you through. Oh, for sure. Well, it was Afshia. I I even got like just the free stuff about classroom safety and all that kind of stuff Mm. from when I first started fashion and I wasn't qualified. That was when I'm like, oh my God, I love this. I need to get on board. But I was actually too nervous to even try for the board of directors for quite some time because I felt unprepared for it. Well, I think you're quite prepared for it now. That's for sure. So, Jen, this is the part of our podcast where we do some rapid fire questions. So they're just for fun. So I'm just going to ask you five quick questions and just give us the the first answer that sort of pops into your mind. Okay. 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 I'm terrible at these. (laughs) Okay. Oh, you're going to be great. All right. Our first question. What is your favorite type of music? I like old school, like Missy Elliott and stuff. Okay, cool. So this second question, I handpicked this one just for you. Oh, it God. might be a little little bit of a challenge, but describe your style in one word. Eclectic. Oh, that's a good word. I don't have a set style. I literally go from like preppy to goth to sparkly because I try to represent all students in different ways. Right. I think eclectic is a great word for that. That's very fitting. What's your favorite breakfast? Espresso. (laughs) That's perfect. And number four, who do you text the most? My husband. And then number five, what's your favorite board game? Most of them enrage me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too competitive. I used to love Nightmare. 
I've never heard of that one. Nightmare. It was like you played it on a VHS and it was like this crypt keeper guy would come on and you had little graveyard thingies and trust me, look it up after look up 1990s nightmare. It was the best. And I absolutely loved it. But with my own children, I'll say, I'll say monopoly or clue or no, no, sorry, sorry. Not clue. What's it called? Um, Guess who? That's the thing. Oh, guess who? That's a good one. Okay. That's the one I play with my kids. That's a good choice. It's just getting beaten by a seven-year-old on a daily basis and board games eventually kind of hurt me. Okay. I can understand that. Thank you for joining us and sharing some of your insight about your fashion courses with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What the Family Studies podcast. Tune in next time as we interview a representative from Studica, the makers of Real Care Babies. We'll be talking about all the real life simulation tools we can use in our classrooms to learn more about child development. As a bonus, there might be a prize for one lucky listener. So be sure to tune in. Remember to subscribe to be notified when we release new episodes. Thanks for listening. What the Family Studies is brought to you by the Ontario Family Studies Home Economics Educators Association. Special thanks to our producer, Michelin Gallant, tech support and podcast editor, Cassandra McEachern, and our co-hosts, Catherine Murphy and Laura Hattier.